0: I'm Jason, a senior pastor here with my wife, Bev. And uh, we've been excited as we have been meeting here and coming out of COVID to feel, even if the physical temperature has not been rising, to feel the spiritual temperature rising here in this room. Yeah, there you go. In our worship, in ministry, um, this is a moment in history. Um, The best metaphor I could come up with, and it's the one I keep landing on, either with you, with friends, with other pastors, and say, I want my grandkids to say, tell me about COVID. And after I tell them about not getting no toilet rolls and pasta and other things, um, but to be able to tell them the story of what God did and how I took part. And it's too late to take part afterwards. And believe that God in his word and through history says that there are moments when he says do you want to take part in what I'm doing God is not surprised by what is going on in the world and I believe wants to get our attention he has something wonderful for us and we're starting to feel the temperature rise here in the room as we participate and discover what the Lord's doing with us um, at the beginning of March and if you remember the beginning of March Seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Um, We shared our vision for the year, and if you haven't heard that, please go to our YouTube channel, catch up on what we shared, uh, bigger picture for the year, and what we felt the Lord was inviting us into and what we're focusing on as a church. Um, And by the way, thank you for those of you who have responded uh, with giving and uh, signing up to serve in the life of the church on a Sunday. And I'll write to you this week and let you know the results of of that. So, thank you for your response to that, that enables us to press into that mission for the year. Um, I just wanted to say one more thing about our preaching team. We've got a wonderful team, haven't we? If you clock in, either online or here in person, you notice regularly um, when we started the church and for years, you used to get me every Sunday. Uh, Now you don't. Yay! (laughs) That was my daughter. Yay! Um, one of the ways we've been blessed in the maturity of our church over the years is is the is growth of leadership and other people that do things in the church, but also with our preaching team. It's one of the greatest delights I have. I I sometimes wish, and our preaching team has said it, we wish you could see what happens when we get together as a group. And we sit and we talk about what the Lord's doing here. And there's just lovely moments when we go, well, we think the Lord's doing this, and suddenly someone says, let's pray, and we'll pray together openly, and then we'll come back to a discussion and, and how the Lord leads us. And that's so much better for you than just me turning up here every week, that we have people with a gifting and calling in preaching. Uh, One of the visions that we have for our preaching and teaching in the church is for the full counsel of God. Um, And we have such different characters on our preaching and teaching team. And they bring a different dimension each week. So I just want to honour them and the amount of work that they (laughs) spend. Preparing and bringing the word. And it is a privilege. So it's my privilege to be here. We're getting near the end of this series. Um, and we've got baptisms at Easter. Oh, it's going to be exciting. And then we're starting a new series after Easter. Just want to give you a quick preview of that today. We, we are looking at moments of encounter with Jesus. Some amazing stories in scripture of people who were going through things like we are. And one minute, um, uh, I will plug the TV series The Chosen. Any of you watched The Chosen? I hope many of you have if you were in our church last year. It's the most wonderful series about the life of Jesus and the impact on the disciples. If you want to watch something to understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, it is just beautiful and stunning. And one of my favorite bits in in The Chosen in the first series is Mary Magdalene, who um, we know from Scripture, Paul mentioned Mary Magdalene last week when he was preaching. And we know from Scripture that she was delivered and set free and, and was a follower of Jesus. And they tell that in the, in the TV series, The Chosen, and she's interviewed by a Pharisee, Nicodemus, in the TV series. And there's just this lovely line, I won't get it quite right, but he's saying, what happened to you? You used to be like that. I saw what you were like. And she, what she basically says is, I, all I know is, I was this, and now I'm this because of him. And just this stunning transformation that Jesus brings and power into our lives. And that's why we're here. It's why our church was planted. It's the passage that that we're looking at at the minute, at the end of John. And it's the series that we're going to come to. So if you are tired, weary, overwhelmed, fatigued, despairing, you're in good company. And we're going to see the people that met Jesus. And we've been looking at John. That Jesus is alive and he has risen today and he is still meeting us. So that people can say to you, you used to be like that, but now you're like this. And you go, in between was him. That's coming up. Isn't that wonderful? So if you have a Bible, turn to John. I would encourage you to bring Bibles. I know we put the verses up here on the screen and they're on your phone. But there really is something different about having a Bible. And reading it. And writing in it, if that's not if some of you don't mind writing in your Bibles. This is my most beautiful Bible. It's so beautiful I will never write in it because my handwriting is so horrendous. But I have a cheap Bible that I write in and put all my verses in. And I hope one day my kids will pick up my Bibles when I pass on and they'll keep them. I know some of you in the church have Bibles. It's one of the greatest inheritance you have is a Bible from a parent and their notes and their thoughts. Um, but do have a, have a Bible with you. So we're in John, Um, after all that preamble and introduction, I've got a short uh, talk with you today. And we're in chapter 20, verse 19, to the end of chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord.' Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, ha ha. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) We've seen the Lord. So what was he doing? I don't know. Maybe he's out shopping. Or um, He said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. Through, um, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and I, by the way. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name Amen Let's pray Lord we thank you for your word thank you that you are risen thank you as we arrive at this point in the Gospel of John now Lord you are here by your Spirit may we encounter you As the disciples did, do again what you did with them. Do it with us. Amen. Amen. So, the disciples are in hiding after the resurrection. Here's our wonder. I mean, Jesus has already appeared to the disciples. And they deal with it full of faith by hiding (laughs) from the Jewish leaders. They're like, what just happened to Jesus? We don't want to happen to us. There's not much faith seemingly going on here they're in disarray they have run away they have hidden so if ever you find the events of life cause you to fear what's happening and run away remember you're in good company you're like oh the disciples did this but Jesus doesn't want us he didn't want them to stay there and we see how our whole world and history changes uh, from these moments onwards now Jesus has not when he's risen from the dead Again, if any of us know the gospel story, one of the problems is it's so familiar we become immune to it and we miss some stuff. Um, Actually, what I want to do is I'm going to do four things with you today. The first one is a bit of background to this story about Christ's resurrection, the apostles, and why this is so important and why John is focusing on this. And then three things to look at how we can enter into the experience that the disciples had. How we can know this Jesus in the way that they knew him. That's what we're going to do this morning. Jesus does not, when he comes out the tomb, say, saddle up, let's get the Romans. That's what everyone was expecting. He's risen from the dead. Jesus, even more shockingly, doesn't come out and go, man, that really hurt. And someone, can I buy your wine, Jesus? Tell me all about it. Oh, the trauma. It was so traumatic. What would you and I do if we'd gone through what Jesus went through? It is quite shocking that Jesus does not want revenge and he does not mention once what happened to him. He doesn't mention the physical abuse, the trauma, the crowds. He doesn't do it one time. He is so utterly preoccupied with his resurrection and what it means that that's the only thing he talks about. It's stunning. And we can so easily miss this. Now, if you, well, we'll do the end of the chapter here. So I've done the beginning bit, which is the disciples are hiding away. The end bit is this lovely bit where John says, Do you know what? Jesus did so much, so many signs that are not recorded. If they were written down, there's just no room for every book in the world. It's just so much. John is writing his gospel many decades later, okay, he's writing it up. Um, in John's gospel, it's reckoned that there are probably only 21 days of Jesus' life recorded. Only 21. Mark's gospel so only got 16 chapters, even less. This is not a biography. This is John later in life thinking back on the totality of his experience with Jesus and what happened afterwards the stories that people told and John is sitting there by the Holy Spirit inspired and is saying this out of all the things that could be written is the most important thing for me to tell you at this moment that's one of the things for us to know about scripture and it's why we can have confidence in it Some of us, that might freak us out and think, well, if he wrote it so much later, how do we know it's true? One of the ways the oral tradition worked is the disciples were aware of stories. They retold the stories of Jesus again and again and again and again. And it was the ones that were repeated and came alive the most that the disciples would often focus in on. And other times in the different Gospels, we see people by the Holy Spirit focusing on a different aspect. So we get to this chapter here And John, for some reason, is looking back on all the things that he could do. And he tells us this story about the disciples hiding and Thomas. Because there's something important for us to know. One of the things that um, that commentators think John wants us to know here is about apostles, what made an apostle. Some of you have been Christians for a while. Do you know what the qualification was to be an apostle? They didn't know they were apostles at this point, they were called that later anyone know what the qualification was there were three things but what was one of the most important ones to be an apostle anyone remember pop Chris? pardon they'd met with jesus lots of people have met with jesus but that was a requirement number one anyone think what the others might be they were commissioned by jesus they would met jesus in person they were commissioned by jesus and they'd seen the risen jesus so there's a few things here that are being established. And you might think, well, why is that important? Well, that's what we're going to unpack and why that's important for us today. We often read this passage as uh, doubting Thomas. You ever heard that phrase about doubting Thomas? It's it's a bit unfair on Thomas, really. We're going to see. Thomas has the most amazing faith in this passage. He has some doubts and he has some sneezes (laughs) and he has amazing faith. Now, Thomas has missed out on Jesus' meeting with the other disciples. One of the reasons that this is in here is probably to remind people that Thomas actually had taken part in what was necessary to be an apostle. He'd met the risen Jesus. He hadn't missed out on that. So, um, to be an apostle, you needed to have seen the risen Jesus be commissioned by Jesus. Um, I've got some Bible verses just to put up there for you. So we've got Acts 9, verse 3 to 5. Is that up on the screen? Yeah, if we get Acts 9, 3 to 5, I'm going to read that. Now this is Paul, who was an apostle, became an apostle. Now as Paul went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Paul has an experience of the risen Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, Paul writes this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? It's one of the other signs of an apostle. A sign of an apostle was they'd met Jesus, were commissioned by Jesus, and when they talked about Jesus, other people became Christians. Um, some of you might remember at the beginning of Acts Jesus says to the disciples right go away and pray and wait till I wait till something happens and instead they draw lots and choose another apostle do you remember that? an apostle that is then barely well is never mentioned again do you remember the name of the disciple they chose? the apostle to replace Judas see you can't remember his name Matthias Paul comes along Paul becomes the next apostle. Go to Acts 15 and we've got the council of Jerusalem. From Acts 15 onwards, Paul is is like the apostle to the apostles almost in some ways. In the way that he's met Jesus. It's like the disciples got, some commentators think the disciples got ahead of themselves. Oh, we're one down, we better choose someone. (laughs) And Jesus went, no, Paul is my choice. Apostles. Now this... We see John 20 verses 30 to 31 in our passage here. This this beautiful thing where it says, Jesus says, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus commissions the disciples. And then he says, if you forgive sins, their sins are forgiven. This is the commissioning and the releasing. There are multiple ways Jesus commissions the apostles. But this one takes them from their disarray to being sent out into the world to be apostolic and at the center of this is the most important thing that Jesus is risen 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 Paul says this if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless and so is our faith sometimes we Jesus death and resurrection is reduced to a fact from an re class that's what Christians believe whether it's true or not For many of us as Christians, it can just become a fact. Jesus died, rose from the dead. Do you believe it? Okay. But it doesn't impact us. Paul's Paul's not just saying Jesus' resurrection was real. He's saying everything that goes along with his resurrection is real. Because if if that never happened, then none of this could take place. Um, I refer you back to Paul's talk last week, which was a wonderful talk. If you missed it, catch up last week. I think Paul reminded us, Paul had crunched the numbers. Out of all the people in human history, there were other people that reported to have come back from the dead, several in scripture, but they died again. Jesus is the only person to come back from the dead. Here's what I found, resurrection, Wikipedia, interesting. Is that how you did it? It's like, even, even my watch is listening in about Jesus. You can go back to sleep, Siri. Um, I'm sure I heard Paul say something like out of of an estimated 181 billion people that have ever lived was that the number Paul? 108 108 billion Jesus is the only one to come back from the dead and not die again there is something about him that is absolutely pivotal not just as a fact but as an experience Jesus spends 40 days in his risen body before he goes before his ascension and Being real is just utterly central. (coughs) Um, Galatians 2, we'll get to at the end of today. It's one of my favorite verses. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's an experience. It's a reality. It's a change. Right. Now, I was trying to, I sat there praying and I said, Lord, where, where do we bump into that reality and the rest of life? where something happens in time and space that changes our lives forever, because that's what the resurrection of Jesus is supposed to do to us and with us. I was thinking of a story. I have a friend, a guy called Tom, and he's preached here, some of you know, and his 33-year-old son was tragically killed in a road accident two months ago. And I got to spend some time with him. That's a fact. His son died. Tom will carry that reality with him for the rest of his life every time I was talking with him you could see the flicker at the back of his eyes my son is dead my son is dead and that will fade a little bit over time but that will never go away it's not just a fact it's something that stays with him anyone had a child born I have three of them It's the most traumatic experience of my life very memorable for me But my, I got sore knees, getting in and out of a chair all for hours was exhausting. It was exhausting, and it was such a long walk to the cafeteria, but anyway, we're not going there, we're not going there. My daughter, it's a fact that she was born, but I remember the excitement of running home to see her every day, this little baby. And, I, and, I, and with all of my kids, and when I haven't seen them for a while and I miss them, the reality of their existence and their breaking in of them into this world and my life is not just a fact, it's something I carry with me, it affects me at the deepest level. Is any of this making any sense? Um, getting married. You know, I've been married 31 and something years. Look back at a wedding day and think, Wow, I think back to my baptism, I was baptised. I still carry that with me. Do you know, psychologists, behavioural science and other people, there's a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score. And, and, And we carry around with us the good and the bad things in life, the events that happen, the traumatic things, the wonderful things. And they're not just facts, they are life. And that's the register at which the death and resurrection of Jesus is available to impact us if we want it. Or it can just be a fact for somebody else in an RE lesson. Is this making sense? That's what's at stake here. That's what's at stake for Jesus and Thomas. Not Thomas, here's a fact for you. Thomas, here is me. This changes everything. I'm, I'm really focusing, this is like the first half of the talk, just in this bit here. And Thomas' confession in verse 28, when Thomas encounters Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. What is reckoned to have happened in church history, the disciples, by the way, every single one of them go out. Go and Google what happened to the apostles. Um, And apart from John, it seems that they all get executed and martyred later on in life. That's the consequences of following Jesus. None of them failed, but they all died awfully apart from John, Thomas is reckoned to have gone to India. And there are Martoma churches. Christian missionaries in history went to India to evangelize people. And when they got there, they found there were a bunch of people there who were already Christians. And they said, Thomas came here several hundred years ago. (laughs) Um, They went out into the world, literally. Thomas goes from this moment, and it changes him forever. He ends up in India sharing about Jesus. Thomas is rebuked for his doubts, but he makes this major profession. Right. So, this is so this first piece, the big piece, this is the big conceptual piece, but the, the important piece. Jesus has died, risen from the dead. That's what we declare as Christians and believe. And this experience that the disciples have is available to us. That's what Jesus commissions them for to go out and for us to receive. You ready? So, now we're going to look at the rest of the passage three ways that we can enter into this life changing experience with the resurrected Jesus first one. Oh, by the way on your app there are some notes for today if you want to click on there there's an outline for today the first thing the heading i've put on here is handed on what's growing in you i want to read a passage from it's a very well-known passage 1 corinthians 11. for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he gave him thanks he broke it and if you remember this passage this is paul instituting communion the eucharist but it's the beginning. Paul says, for what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. There's a, there's a, a Greek word there that's used in the New Testament for receiving and, and giving away to other people. It's called paradosis. I love this word. And the literal translation here in this passage about communion, and also in other, ta- other passages in the New Testament where Paul uses it in particular, it literally is, I handed on the handed on things isn't that cool Paul's like it's like Jesus goes there you go and Paul goes there you go that's what apostles do receive give away receive give away receive give away by the way this makes a lot of sense of what we do here in our church we gather on Sundays to receive from the Lord we invite one another to pray for one another to receive and give away to receive and give away That's how we grow in relationship with Jesus, to receive from him and then immediately give it away. Because the more we give away, guess what he has? More of, even more. Now, the early church fathers who had received, there's there's some layers here. Just focus on this issue of receiving and giving away and why that's important for us to experience Jesus. The early church fathers. Now, if you were an apostle, that was the main thing and then apostles had met with Jesus, gone with Jesus, commissioned by Jesus, yeah? They were like, who are you? I'm an apostle, <laughs> sent by Jesus, yeah? That was your credential, it was important. <clears throat> you weren't some guy in the middle of nowhere who'd made up some things about Jesus. How, what that was your authority was, you had received things directly from Jesus and you were now giving them away because Jesus said, do that, an apostle. Well, then you have what's called the early church fathers and you get the apostolic fathers. They are the guys who knew the apostles. So they're the first group of church leaders who grew up under the apostles. They were called the apostolic fathers. So once the apostles started dying off, people asked the question, the best person to speak in your church, we need to get an apostolic father. Why? Well, they knew the apostles. And the apostles knew Jesus. Do you see how it works? Then you had the anti-Nicene fathers and they were the people that knew the apostolic fathers and then you have after the Nicene Creed you have the Nicene and eventually they stopped using this phrase because after about four generations they went it just gets a bit complicated (laughs) but there is this notion and we still carry it with us today in our everyday lives to know someone that knew someone is important because they carry something from that person Which is why, it's always amazing when you hear a story in the news, you know, they say we've found the oldest woman in the world who's 125 years old and she knew Florence Nightingale. And they interview them and it's so interesting, isn't it, to listen to someone who can go that far back in history. They were there. They experienced it, they saw it. We know those moments. There are still human beings who can reach all the way back to the beginning of the last century. Can you imagine what the beginning of the last century was like to live in? I got to meet a missionary once, a Korean missionary, he was 110 years old. I've told this story, he had a, he had a missionary with him, who called Young Man, his assistant carried his bag, he was 80. <laughs> and he was called Young Man, his nickname. It was hilarious. and. And I just was struck by. He was telling his stories of being held prisoner in, in Japan, the war with Japan, uh, Japan invading Korea, being tortured, miracles that he'd seen, things got had done. And he was literally like Yoda, the little old guy. He would talk and then fall asleep. <laughs> and then he would wake up and he would talk and then fall asleep. And none of us cared that he fell asleep because he had encountered Jesus in the most amazing ways. And could go back so far in history. It was mesmerizing. And then he finished. It's like wow. And something struck me. That it only takes 20 of him. To get back to Jesus. You see. I thought isn't it amazing. That the apostles hand something on to someone else. To someone else. And then there's this little Korean guy. Who's handing on more of Jesus to me. And if you lived 80 years, you only need 25 people. It's not a long line, is it, to receive Jesus. If you have received Jesus and become a Christian, we get to thank people in eternity who received from the Lord and gave it away, and they gave it away, and they gave it away, and then eventually someone brought Jesus to you. That's what's at stake here in this room right now. This is what Jesus has been doing and wants to do at this moment in history. Galatians 4 verse 19, Paul writes this um, to us. He says, my dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Paul doesn't say until you believe all the correct things and the right things. Paul says what's at stake is that the life and the reality of Jesus become your life and reality. It's like childbirth. That's what I want you to receive and to experience, to be a disciple. Christ formed in us. Last little story here. I've watched as um, he's a really good friend of ours, Carl Tuttle. Some of you might know. Wrote loads of worship songs, like Hosanna. Any of you remember Hosanna? Hosanna, Hosanna. No, you don't want me to sing it. You just don't want me to sing it. To sing it. <laughs> I can start dancing, do a good Christian jig to an ancient <laughs> hymn. Um, known him since I was 19. I got to meet John Wimber once. People will often say, the founder of our church movement, did you ever meet John Wimber? I went, and I always tell my John Wimber story. I was leading worship. The founder of our church movement, he was, right, he was closer than Bev, right in front of me. And he just stared at me the whole time through worship. And I was like, oh no. What, what am I doing wrong? And I got off the stage, and he put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, good worship. I thought, I'm never washing that shoulder. Like, so if you want a John Wimber anointing, it's this shoulder. Come and touch this shoulder. This is the shoulder that John Wimber touched. Now, a funny story, but we reach for them, don't we? People say, oh, you were around in the early days of the video. Did you ever meet John Wimber? But a closer friend of mine is Carl Tuttle. So he's more like an apostolic father. He's a very good friend and talked to him lots and prayed with him and shared with him for decades. But I was watching him the other day. He's seriously ill and very, very ill and in a care home, Carl, in his mid, late 60s. And he's putting up photos. He goes, there's me on the stage with John Wimber. He's telling his John Wimber stories. He's saying, here's what I received. And I still want to give it away to you. This is what I received. This man that loved Jesus gave this to me. And before I die, I want to give it away. Receiving, giving. So I posed a question on this point here, which is, what are you receiving at the minute? What are you receiving from the news? Is it life-giving? What are you receiving from all the TV programs that you watch? I mean some of them all right. right. I like watching This Is Us. It makes me cry every time I watch it. You know, but what are we receiving from the world? Because the choice is not whether we receive something in life, it's where we receive it from and what we're gonna give away to other people. That's the choice. And this reality of Christ's death and resurrection and receiving from him is available to us right now here in this hall. So that's the question. What are you receiving? What have you received? What are you handing on to other people? Would you like to receive Jesus? Third of four things. Reading your mail. These are short points. Now Jesus had listened in on Thomas. How did Jesus do that? Well, Son of God. Really close to the Father. I'm going to tell you why I think and how Jesus listened in on Thomas's thoughts. We're, by the way, in the church because we're, we're charismatic Christians believe that the kingdom of God is here. We have a thing called words of knowledge. This might be a word of knowledge. God gives Jesus a piece of information about Thomas. And in the vineyard we use this phrase reading someone's mail. Jesus is like... I heard every word you said about me, even when I wasn't here. <laughs> and God heard every word. And that's what happens in this, uh, in this passage here. We see in verses 25 to 27. Um, uh, We've seen the risen Lord. Unless I see, a week later, Jesus appears. Peace be with you. Put your hand here. Stop doubting. Jesus directly addresses Thomas. Tells us a few things, that even though Thomas wasn't there, Jesus was still with him. It's one of the things about the risen Jesus. We looked a few weeks ago when I was sharing, Jesus says, it's better that I go. Because I can do things I can't do now. Like I can hang around with Thomas, even when he doesn't know I'm with him. (laughs) This is why Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus listened in on Thomas. Listened in on his doubts, and he addresses them. Um, as far as we know, the disciples haven't, there's no story in here that the disciples got together with Jesus, and said, You'll never guess what Thomas said. Doubting Thomas, that's what we, you should call him, Jesus? No, as best as we can tell from the gospel accounts, Thomas says this to the disciples, Jesus appears, and Jesus says, Thomas, I know, I know you've been doubting, come here. You he read his mail. Now, there's another disciple who is in his calling. Little Bible quiz for some of you. Activate our little gray cells. I watched Hercule Pro the other night, um, terrible film. Um, there was a disciple that Jesus calls, and we know in the interaction that Jesus has, and it blows the disciples' mind that Jesus had read his mail. He knew where he was and what he was thinking. And if you remember which disciple it was? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. And what's reckoned to happen is Nathaniel is out sitting under a fig tree praying and saying to God, do you, do you even do you see me? Is, uh, is the Messiah real? Are you ever going to come? And then Jesus walks up to Nathaniel and says, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel's like, "Oh!" So why is this important? Well, I'd like you to look at Psalm 139 with me. verse 17 to 18. There are so many ways. There are so many ways. You know, we say Jesus is the son of God. Well, of course, he and He's risen. He can travel anywhere and hear anything he wants to, maybe. Jesus is so close to God that the father speaks to him. That's the one that I prefer to draw strength from and encouragement from, that Jesus is so close to our heavenly father and heaven is open over him that God speaks to him. The father speaks to him. Jesus tells us, the father speaks to me. And what I've received, I'm giving away. And when Jesus is praying, and we're told in Scripture, we haven't got time today for the passages, when Jesus is, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he's praying to the Father, and he's praying for us, and God lets him in on his thoughts for you and I. Psalm 139 is a beautiful, beautiful psalm that tells us something about the Father, and Jesus comes to reveal the Father to us. Let me, have I found... Where is it? Psalm 139. Or oh, was it on the screen? How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. See, I think what we see here in this story, Jesus is just he comes out of the tomb, he's so overwhelmed with who the Father is, and his mission is not to kill the Romans and moan about what's happened to him. He's so overwhelmed with what the Father is doing, and he's and he's praying and he's praying for the disciples as we know he does in John, and, and he listens in to Abba Father's thoughts for Thomas he listens into the father and he's like oh that's interesting father so Thomas oh Thomas has got some doubts has he well what do we want to what should we do about that okay oh yeah that will be let's do that and then Jesus appears and he says to Thomas again in the Greek language and we have to be careful here it is a sort of rebuke but it's a very positive warmth for Jesus he's like Thomas stop doubting I love you come here come and touch me it's me come here and Thomas moves towards Jesus Um, actually can we put the Caravaggio painting up John I was going to do it, the last point, but I want to put it up here. It's a beautiful painting by Caravaggio about Thomas. Again, very stylized, like lots of paintings are, and you might go, was Thomas that old? Probably not. And there are other representations in artwork of Thomas, you know, doubting, and Jesus rebuking him, and the rest of the disciples are all like, doubter, Yeah? This Caravaggio painting is very different. It's very stunning. I've got it printed up and put on my wall. Um, and you see the disciples like, come on, he's here. We've come and experienced what we have. It's beautiful. Come on, come and, come and receive from him. It's stunning reception. <clears throat> I want to tell you this third point, and then I've got my last point about reception. And my receiving. Um, Last year, with many things going on in my life, in one of the hardest years of my life, I threw myself at the Lord and spent hours and hours in the early hours of the morning sitting with him, listening to him. And I share this carefully with you because it's a personal experience for me and it's not that you should have an experience like this, but a profound experience. I was reading John. And the bit says, in my father's house, in many rooms. And I would pause, and I would... And there's, there's a practice, a Christian spirituality, particularly Ignatian spirituality. And it's to imagine that you're in the Bible stories. <clears throat> to imagine that you're there. And I had an amazing time with the father. And one of the things I've really struggled with for a very, very long time is the idea that God was my father. Because I was abandoned by my father, abused by my mother. And, and I'd sort of resigned myself to the fact. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I went, all right, Lord, that'll do. <laughs> but something happened last year for me, spending time with the Lord. Jesus brought, I've been a Christian over 30 years. He brought something new of an experience of the Father to me. And I experienced God as my Father in a way I never had. Went from here to here. And in my mind's eye I was with Jesus and suddenly by the spirit I felt like I was wandering. He said he was showing me this huge house and then Jesus said come in here, come in here and he opened the doors and inside was the fa- I knew it was the father. It was, it was the, there's another painting, a beautiful painting, a Rembrandt painting of the prodigal son. And it was like there was this, the father was there. And Jesus said it's time for you to know the father. And he left and closed the doors. And suddenly a whole part that was in my head was now in my heart. Abba Father, a prayer I I could say but never feel. Um, So I'd received something from Jesus. Um, I'll probably get the story, I'll paraphrase it, my daughter here without embarrassing her. um, Unbeknownst to her, messages me. Just after I had this experience and she said, Dad, it's really weird. I had a dream. Remember this? She had a dream. I don't know if this, you know, like, I don't know if this means anything. Any of you do that? And she said, in this dream, I was running around a huge house trying to find you. And then eventually I came into a room and you were with God the Father and you were laughing. And you were so happy. Does that mean anything? (laughs) No. (laughs) i tell you that story not just because of my ongoing reception from the Lord, but this is the most stunning thing of all. Jesus passed on something to someone, to someone who gave that to someone who gave that to someone who gave that to me. And he gave that to my daughter. And my daughter gives it back to me. doesn't get better in life than that. I was like, oh, wow, Lord. Wow. Lastly, participation. Seeing and touching is believing. I've already mentioned Jesus' wounds, and he says, Touch them. There's a, a, a prayer that I pray almost every day called the Anima Christi, and there's a lovely line in it. It says, Within your wounds, hide me. And I pause and I, I have reflected on the gospel stories and the wounds of Jesus and thought about within your wounds, Lord, hide me. Um, there's so much in scripture that says A life and experience of Jesus is participating with him. Not him at a distance, but up close. Um, And my mind was blown recently. I was reading a book on prayer and reflections on Jesus. And it said that Jesus is the only person in eternity who will have wounds. And I thought, why have I never thought about that? The resurrected Jesus keeps on his body... His wounds. I mean, if if you were God, you might have gone, (laughs) get rid of them. Why has he still got them? He doesn't need them. Jesus will carry into eternity every wound he experienced, and his wounds are our wounds. Everything. Every pain, every disappointment, every brokenness, everything that's wrong in the world that put him on the cross. He bears testimony to it for eternity. And what he's saying to Thomas is not just, Thomas, I'm alive and I'm risen. Look, you remember they still have a spear in my side. He's saying, Thomas, hide yourself here. This is the safest place for you to be. This wound here, your doubt is right here. Your loss is here. You guys all in the room, your fears are here. I will carry them. Be close to me and I will carry these for you for eternity. Participate. Come here. Now, we infer in the story and in the Caravaggio painting, we infer that Thomas touched Jesus. But have you noticed in the passage, it doesn't say that he did. And it might be that Jesus says, hey, no. And Thomas goes, ah, my Lord and my God. Doesn't need him to go and touch him. The closeness, the proximity. Last thing, there's another proximity. Let's go back to the beginning of the story, uh, here in this gospel. When Jesus appears to the disciples, it says he breathed on them. Uh, One of the lovely little things that's been picked up. Brian mentioned it. Paul mentioned it last week, picking it up from Brian on our preaching team. One of the one of the amazing things about the gospel stories it's the incidental details. And it's what we know eyewitnesses. People that are making up stories don't make up little details because they never experienced them. The disciples, how did they know Jesus breathed on them? Did he go, I'm going to breathe on you? They were so close. He breathed on them. That's the level of intimacy with the risen Jesus. And yes, the breath, and it is the spirit, but it's also relationship. You don't get anything closer in a relationship. Um, I remember my kids, the smell of their head. There's little babies. I would go <sighs> Little baby smell. But also their breath. There's something about crying. Any of you ever smelt the breath of someone who's been crying? There's actually an effect that happens on people's breath that they get a sweetness to their breath when they cry. Uh, when Bev and I were first dating, she would cry and there would be a smell to her breath or my kids would cry, there would be a smell I mean, what intimacy with Jesus that the disciples are like he was so close I remember what his breath smelled like that's what's available to us that level of intimacy and Thomas says, my Lord and my God so what was that all about today? well and questions is the reality of the death and resurrection of jesus something you're experiencing what are you receiving in life at the minute would you like i mean as we've gone through this story as some of you gone i'd like a bit of this would you like this because if you want it it's yours this jesus is yours right now right here in this room he moves amongst us he breathes upon us he says, are you thirsty? I've got water for you. He says, are you hungry? I've got food for you that the world knows nothing about. Are you held captive by things? I've got freedom for you. He's alive. He's risen. He's here. The kingdom is here. And it's all about love. Very last thing. There is a prayer here. I... Put it online a few weeks ago when I spoke. Can we put the prayer up, John? And I know I've moved off the stage, but fall in love. This is this is why this church was planted. It's why we continue to replant our church. It's what we intend to do from this moment in this space and every space in the life of our church is to know Jesus and fall in love with Him. I love this prayer. Fall in love. This is um, a Jesuit priest wrote this. Nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything.